0: Welcome to For Ten Points, the best podcast on the web for everything quiz bowl related. Whether you're a player or a coach, and are just trying to improve, we can help you get better. I'm your host Ken Romeo, and with me, as always, is my co-coach Andrew Triago. Andrew, it's the uh, new year coming up. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. I have uh, no plans to do anything dangerous in the next 48 hours that might uh, impact me making it to 2021. Uh, and do you uh, have
0: any? Do you have any New Year's resolutions?
1: Uh, New Year's resolution. Uh, It would be probably to to have a better year than last year. Uh, And I I don't think I can't imagine that'll be too tough, but I'll think of more. I usually think of it's halfway through January. Take a little bit of time to to sit on it, sleep on it. but, but uh, to be be better prepared or, you know, more, <laughs> more no, organized, no, no, no. Never, you're
0: going to wait until the middle of January to come up with your new year's resolution. I don't know. Here's the Procrastinate
1: thing. less. I don't 5% know. 5% of the way into the year is perfectly fine for me to come up with a plan for the other 95%. Remember what Abraham Lincoln said? If I had, uh, you know, four hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first three hours sharpening the ax. So it, uh, it's a perfectly reasonable ask. But I I hope everyone out there is is doing equally well, uh, hanging in there, uh, hopefully enjoying some time with friends and family over the break, uh, you know, responsibly, of course. Uh, And uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful show for you today. Uh, So, Ken, tell us a little about that.
0: Sure. So uh, speaking of New Year's resolutions, uh, I hope our guest will inspire you to uh, kind of come up with some resolutions for your team, whether you're a player or a coach. Um, You're going to hear from Coach Lisa McClary from the Columbia Independent School. And she's gonna tell you how um through pizza and pez, uh she has uh developed this wonderful winning culture uh at her school. So she's from the Show Me State, and she will show us how to um make our programs better, how to go from being not just a power within your region, but being a power on the national stage. So all of that is coming up a little bit later in our program. Um It's, it's, you know, the, the year is kind of moving on and we're adapting to a new way of doing things. Um, There have been some tournaments. So Mr. T, what do you say we check out what's been going on?
1: Sounds great. Let's look at what's been posted.
2: It's time to take a look around the country and dive into the tournament results
1: that have been posted. So the first poster tournament is from the U.S. Academic Bowl 2020 National Championships, which were still held on December 19th to 20th uh, online, though, uh, which had Burley Manor A uh, from Maryland defeating Harvest Park from California, 420 to 280 to become the 2020 national champion. So congrats to Burley Manor A. Uh, Wisconsin Hills from Brookfield, Wisconsin takes third place. Uh, and Burley Manor is coached by Anne-Marie Lance and Eric and Sarah Siefter, Uh So they should all feel very proud of themselves and their, their result.
0: Congratulations, Burley Manor! Yeah, this was the national championship that, of course, should have been held in late May or June, but uh, had been postponed. They wanted to try to host it in person; it just never worked out, so they were able to do it online. Well done, Burley Manor! Uh, also, from the uh, uh, from IAC, their International Geography Bee, which was the same weekend, the 18th to the 20th, also online. Uh, they split it up by grades. Our eighth-grade champion was uh, Adi Gattaker from Brooklawn Middle School in New Jersey. The seventh-grade champion was Arush Sarabi from Bret Hart Middle School in California. And the sixth-grade champion was Shubham Kumar of Monroe Township Middle School in New Jersey. This is our podcast, so I feel like we're allowed to do this. Shout-out to our own Middlesex's Roman Gagliardi, who took home the bronze medal in the sixth-grade division. Now, of course, Roman is a seventh-grader now, but uh when he qualified he qualified as a sixth grader so uh very nicely done roman um so uh, there have been uh, some other tournaments that are going on but uh, that's i think that's where we're going to call our posted section for today
1: okay we have a fantastic show for you today we are here with lisa mcclary who teaches sixth and seventh grade geography economics in the history of rock and pop at CIS, the Columbia Independent School in Columbia, Missouri. She's been coaching their quiz bowl team, their academic bowl team uh, <laughs> since 2015. Uh, and that team was tied for 13th in the 2019 MSNCT, which is a very hotly contested MSNCT. Uh, Lisa, welcome. We're happy to have well, you on. Today.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It's a thrill to be here. I love this podcast
0: that That's a lie, but thank you it's we we, we appreciate it it
1: was It was in her writer that she had to say that <laughs> we, we still appreciate hearing it.
2: No, I listened uh, to the first episode while I was painting my patio, and then I heard my name and my team's name. I'm like, what this is awesome the best podcast ever
0: <laughs> so so the first podcast, um you know, we talked about the year that, that, uh, Middlesex won nationals. And, uh, recently I read a blog where I believe you referenced that and that like watching Longfellow playoffs kind of serves served as uh, an inspiration, which is really kind of neat. Um, Be faster, no more. That's your team's (laughs) motto.
2: That is our unofficial motto. All right. (laughs) Maybe not the most sportsmanlike motto, but that's what (laughs) we like. (laughs) But
0: uh, so tell tell me how that came about.
2: Okay. So, first of all, the fact that we were inspired by you, that I was inspired by your team's win at Nationals in 2016, is absolutely true. I was sitting in the audience in Atlanta. It was my first trip to Nationals, and it was my first time as a coach in a big tournament like that. Um, I had coached for two years prior to that at, at the Boonville middle school. So I live in Boonville, Missouri, which is just West of Columbia. And I didn't even know about tournaments. So I didn't even know about MSNCT or any of that stuff. So then I take my, my first little team, we go down to nationals and, we did not do so great. We got 106 that year out of 160. But I stuck around and watched all the top teams play. And I ch- actually chose your team as my favorite to win. I had absolutely no dog in that fight, right? But you had girls on your team. We did. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, four. Yeah. I'll pick the team with all the girls on it because there's <laughs> kind of a lack of girls at Nationals. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and then Toss Up 24 happened, and that girl – buzzed in and got Charlemagne oh, yeah. and the place went nuts. And, um, and of course I was happy because my team won, but it was really mm-hmm. inspirational. And I remember looking at you going up to your team, like, ah! and I'm like, how do I get to be there? <laughs> so how do I get my team there? And it really was an inspirational moment that I do remember. And so when I was listening to your first podcast, and you were talking about that moment, I'm like, oh, That is so cool because that is really what started me off on this journey of being faster and knowing more.
0: (laughs) So you know, one of the one of the reasons I'd say, like the main reason that we wanted to have you on our show um, was to talk about how you can go from seeing success at a regional level, and um, if you're not from Missouri, or you know, you're really not tuned into uh, the the goings on of quiz bowl programs around the country, like just as a, just as a little bit of a background in, in 2016. So this is the year that, that she was talking about. They, uh, CIS was their runners up in their state championship. The same thing the following year in 2017, they won the, they won their States in, in 2018. Um, and there were some other, uh, other local tournaments where they would always finish in top three. So, you know, you see regional success and you think, okay, we're, we're ready for the next level. And you go and, you get shellacked by the likes of um, I think so. You, your first match ever, you won. Your second match, you played Keeling, and right now, like Keeling, they're kind of a shell of themselves. But, but back then, they were coming. They were the defending champions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so how do you go from being a, a force in your region
2: mm-hmm.
0: to like projecting that on the the national stage? Because that is that's an issue that's plaguing so many programs around the country. They're good locally, but they just can't get over that hump. There's a
1: uh, a where you that you hit where you're, you're a big fish in a small pond and you're trying to get into the big pond.
2: That's exactly right. And honestly, for the first three years that we went, well, the first two years that we went to nationals, we didn't make it to playoffs. Um, By that time I had gotten to know some other coaches here in Missouri who also take their kids to nationals on a regular basis, but had trouble getting it even into the playoffs. I mean, really our goal was just to get into the playoffs And we had even talked, I remember having conversations with coaches here, like, is it even worth it to go to nationals? I mean, we play against each other. For example, um, I got to drop some names here, but David Dennis, he's the head coach at Washington, which is a pretty big school uh, close to St. Louis. And they've been our main kind of inspirational competition for the last few, since we started, really, because that that was the team to beat here in Missouri. And um, so we kind of focused on that. But we talked and it's just like, my gosh, what are we going to do? To get over that hump and i i wish i could point to the exact moment uh when i could say yeah this is what we did and this, these are the, this is the three-step program that every coach should do but i think that just wanting it is a good first step right and then getting your kids to buy into the to the fact that they aren't good enough. Like the kids on your team that year, obviously super bright kids, but what set them apart from my students that year was the amount of of work that you put into it and that you put into it as a coach and your players put into it as players. And so it's really just a matter of starting off with some pretty smart kids and then just going for it and realizing what you need to succeed, uh, which is a high points per bonus and a high power percentage, and then just working, working, working to get there. And it really and, doesn't,
1: go ahead. I'll I'll say if there's any kid that's listening to this and is going, well, I, I'm out, you know, I'm not that smart. Uh, I, I have seen some of the most the most brilliant, I want to say this in the most loving way I can possibly say, it, the <laughs> most brilliant, incredible goofballs mm-hmm. come from Quiz Bowl. Uh, kids who <laughs> absolutely adore and love one subject area and, and have zero affinity for another one. Like, uh, I, there are questions in nationals that go dead that are, uh, such common knowledge because these kids are such specialized machines that really love their content areas. Uh, Ken, you always bring up the Bruce Wayne one, Bruce, none of the kids knew Bruce <laughs> Wayne was Batman. Uh, and you might think, well, did these kids like have, did they have a childhood? Did they, do they know who Batman is? Like what if, you, what, if you had just, what if you had just asked them about Batman, would they have known like, uh, and, you know, one of them might have said, I think I remember him being mentioned in a book once, um, but <laughs> it, uh, y- you do not need a- an incredibly above average amount of like natural talent. It actually actually will. I'll say uh, I someone someone said something the other day that really struck me. It actually things tend to work better if you just assume talent doesn't exist or you just <laughs> assume for better. Like oh, everyone everyone has roughly an equal level of talent and then you work really hard from there. Uh, because the, the I'll say all the kids that I've seen be really successful are universally one hundred percent of the time hard workers. That's right. So that's it is right. it is that dedication. That's that's what makes your team so so incredible. Honestly, uh, is clearly there was a lot of work to put in in a very short amount of time. Uh, and if we can mine a little bit of that and get that to be something that other teams can take away, that's that's incredible.
2: Yeah, I think that balance has really helped my teams over the years. So when I first started off, we had a superstar player. His name was Hunter, and at that first year in nationals, um, he was twenty eighth out of eight hundred and fifty two kids as a seventh grader. And then the next year, he also led the team in Dallas. He ended up tenth as an you know out of overall individuals. So we had a superstar, and uh, but after that, my teams got really much more balanced. And honestly. I would never turn a superstar away from my team, right? And it's really fun to watch those kids just turn it on and go. They're so impressive. But for us, it's been way more fun to have a very balanced team. And that's where we really started to get success at nationals and focusing on what people are good at and then getting people to fill in the gaps in our knowledge, which for us is classical music. I don't know why we're so bad at classical music, but we really are. And um, so that's what we want to do. And once we got balanced, man, we really that's we went back in 2017, 2018 to Chicago and we tied for 21st. And Mm. that was really when we started to believe Like our goal that year, it's like, okay, we're going to make it to playoffs. That's our goal. We had three seventh graders and an eighth grader, and they were very well balanced as far as their knowledge base went. And when we got to playoffs, you know, we all went out that night. We celebrated. We were having a great time. Then we went to playoffs, like the edge was off, right? And then we Mm -hmm. just started winning. And then we kept winning. And it was really like a do you believe in miracles sort of moment. We're like, oh my God, what's happening here? And then we walked into a, a room and there was a trophy there for the loser of that round. And we won. And then, you know, we just we went on until we, we did get knocked out, obviously. Um right. but we were twenty first and then that was it. After that, we came back to Missouri ready to go. Our eyes were completely focused on next year. Those three seventh graders became eighth graders. And then we added Neha, the phenom, right? And so then Mm -hmm. we had this super powerful, very balanced team. And we just had a bunch of fun. So we practiced all the time, but we never really got to burnout level. And I was worried about that. Because when I talked to other coaches early on at CIS, I'm like, okay, so how do you get to be that middle sex team? And how do you get to be these top teams without your kids just hating quiz bowl? You know, I don't want them stuck. I I want them watching Batman movies, right? I don't want them stuck in a book for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, But we never had that problem. I mean, these kids really have a love for learning. I have a love for learning. My classroom is like Quiz Bowl Central, all of our trophies are there. I've got a whole shelf full of books that are for my academic bowl players that they can have at any time. Um, so it's just a really enriched environment, and then we just have a blast.
0: It sounds like they, they push each other, too.
2: <laughs> they do, but it's always very friendly. I've never... Right they just don't get nasty with the, with each other they're just not those kids and that's a big advantage that i have at cis is we we just have a group of really nice kids and they might be a missouri,
1: a missouri home <laughs> field advantage just nice people
2: <laughs> well it could be but there's some people here who aren't as nice but but at cis they really are cis Dude. is a very small school there's only 383 <laughs> kids in our entire school jk through 12. So my biggest problem as a teacher, I don't have the kind of discipline issues that I used to have in public schools, but my biggest discipline issue here is just getting them to be quiet because they all know each other like siblings, right? So right. they have the, just like siblings, they have those rivalries, but they're also very supportive of each other.
0: That's uh, the, the idea of a, of a culture like that. <clears throat> that's amazing. Uh, it's, it is something that I, I do struggle with at Middlesex. It's um, it's, competitive you know because we're a much larger program um you know this year we're not as large as we have been in years past but it's not atypical to have you know 60 kids to start off and um they recognize the prestige of being one of our top teams and like it is it's competitive and the um the idea that the, the person sitting across from you in practice is your teammate is lost on them sometimes. And it, it's, it takes a little bit of reminding from, uh from me and f- from the other coaches, like, you know, Hey, if you're, if you're, if the person beats you on a toss up, like it's okay to congratulate them. That is your teammate, you know, Absolutely. like their successes are your successes uh, at, at the end of the, at the end of the season, their successes are your successes. Um but that, that does get lost on them sometimes. It's something I'm definitely working on. I, I, uh, <clears throat> I applaud you for coming up with such a, a wonderful culture.
2: Well, I can't take credit for the culture. I'm <laughs> just a little part of it, right? But it was definitely something that was evident from the start when I started teaching at CIS, just how nice everyone was. And a lot of people mm-hmm. comment on that. Um, the teachers are nice to each other. Everyone says, good morning, hello. And we all know each other by first name, right? So um, the kids they really are nice. (laughs) um, They do. Of course I have players who kind of get uptight sometimes or like, Oh, you know, they keep buzzing in and I can't get in. Um, So that's a good teachable moment, right? To say exactly what you said. Be
0: faster, no more. That's (laughs)
2: That's where that came up with. So I will sometimes play my students in practice, especially if they're just really clicking along and they're just feeling so great. Then I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to play this next round. And, um, first of all, I can't beat that cis team that went 13th. There's no way. But I can take on my other teams and usually beat them. And um, that's fun. <laughs> Not just because, like, oh, wow, I'm 50 years old and beating all these 12-year-olds. But um, because it, I do know certain things that they don't know. And so if they start to whine, I get the chance to say, well, just be faster. No more. And then it just became a thing that we always said. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there, there, there definitely is a point where, um, you know, players just, they're better than I am. And I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, who's, who's a better, who's a better tennis player? Uh, yeah, Serena, Serena Williams. Williams
1: or her coach. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> uh, you know, part of, part of the talent is actually creating, cultivating talent in others or cultivating, uh, right. you know, that, that result and result in others. Like she doesn't need to be like her coaches need to be better than her. Just needs to maybe understand some some things that you might be missing. So, I, Ken, and I play against the kids all the time.
2: Yeah, Um, and another thing that playing against them does is it shows how stupid some of my answers can be. Like I'll buzz (laughs) in and lay out some really dumb answer, and then like, what did I just say? And it gives the kids a chance to laugh at me. And it kind of makes everything more fun. And it's really important to me that the kids laugh at their own mistakes. So early on, especially I had some really top players and they would get things wrong. And sometimes they would get things wrong in like really high stakes situations. So they would mispronounce a Greek name, for example, and we would lose, right? Because of that. And, um, so I would just always kind of playfully tease them about that, and honestly, I have that relationship with my kids where I can do that without them just completely freaking out and saying Ms. McClary is so mean. But um, it really does work over time if you can really just bring out the joking aspect. Everyone's going to mess up. Everyone's going to say something laughable at some point and come up with just something really wrong. And and I think that it's really important to. To do that, um, and to kind of have fun with those wrong answers because it makes them know that it's okay to have wrong answers. In fact, it becomes our in joke, and then that's fun.
1: Absolutely, right there are a lot of there are a lot of in jokes. I'm trying to think of one. <laughs> There's, um, oh man, who wrote Robinson Crusoe? Ken, do you that? remember? Yeah, William Defoe. So for a while, one of our our students would always say, "Oh, it's um, William Defrend." <laughs> and in every practice, he would answer that way. He goes, "Oh, it's it's William Defrend," and I would be I would be like, "You're <laughs> going to say that in a in a <laughs> national style. You're going to say William Defrend?" Like, it, it, have- it's
0: also it's also Daniel Defoe. Oh, now it, that I think about yeah, it. it, William, <laughs> William <laughs> Defoe. <laughs> <was>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, goblin. he played the Green Goblin. <laughs>
1: right. That was what it was. There are multiple layers. So you have
0: uh, half your school is is uh, is doing scholar Bowl. Um, how do you determine who's on your top team and you know and all all the way down the line?
2: okay, so this is another advantage that I have at c i s honestly, I mean my biggest advantage is our size, right that we just don't have a lot of kids, and it's hard to take on teams like yours and these other big, huge schools that just have so much talent. Um, but we also have a lot of talent. And my advantage is that I know every single kid at the school. In fact, unless they came after seventh grade um, and they never took one of my electives, I have taught every child at CIS from sixth to twelfth grade. So I know them very well. And, you know, they're, it's a very small place. So... Um, I have daily contact with these kids, so recruiting is a breeze. And then once we started getting some success, uh, both here in Missouri and then at the national level and started bringing home some nationals trophies, then it was really easy. Um, we, We usually play very small rural schools here in Missouri. So we play the other private schools, like there's Catholic schools and stuff like that that we play. But the other tiny schools that are our size are really small rural schools. Uh, if we had to play the big high schools in Columbia, there are three big high schools in Columbia uh, at football, which we don't have a football team. But you know, at sports, we're going to lose. But we can take them on in academic bowl and win. So uh, that got kids' interests right, and and I play that up a lot. I have a little bit of a background in marketing, and so I just make sure that our wins are projected out there and that I talk about them at school. I wrote the blog post, just anything to kind of raise our, uh, raise our profile, right. And to get kids really involved in academic bowl. And luckily I'm surrounded by super smart kids. I mean, CIS, you don't have to be a genius to get into CIS, but we do end up with a higher percentage than a lot of schools of just really smart kids whose parents really value education. And they are often, you know, uh, big-time professionals themselves. Uh, we have a lot of professors' kids and doctors' kids and lawyers' kids and stuff like that. So they really want their kids to have a top-notch, top-notch education, and they're extremely supportive of our team. So how do I get them to A and B team? Well, that's where nationals is really helpful to us. All roads lead to nationals. And so the kids want to go, and they also want to be on A team. So we have been able to create that culture of, like, wanting to be on A team for nationals. Um and that's all down to my players who went to nationals and just killed it, right? Um so I try and look for a balance And so for the teams that I had, I had two teams going last year to nationals, and it took me forever to choose who was going to be on A team. Some kids were just obvious, like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, Elijah's definitely Mm -hmm. going to be on the the A team. But there were about three or four kids who could have gone either way. So what I came down with at the end was my A team was four eighth graders, and they were very well balanced, and they got along. Right. Because when things get tense at nationals, I mean, your heart rate is like going, you're playing all these amazing teams and it's really easy to kind of uh, get really bummed out if you start to lose. So I had to work with those personalities, too, and make sure that, you know, that kid's going to be bolstered by that kid. So I put one of my top players actually on B team because he was a seventh grader and because of the personality mix on that team. So that's how I do it. I basically just look at their scores throughout the year, how they perform throughout the year. Uh, Pretty obvious A-teamers come up, right? But then if it comes down to a tie, I'll generally go with the eighth grader or the seventh grader or the personality match.
1: Very, very great advice. Ken, it reminds me a lot of um, our team where we had two teams in the top ten. We had two teams or, you know, some people accused us of – uh, why did you put your best players on your B team? That's like unsportsmanlike. And it was like, no, well, you know, it's it's just the mix of the personalities. And, right. and I know I know for a fact that the decisions that we made, putting some of those kids on the B team, meant that both the A team and the B team had better experiences, and they they definitely uh, you know came away from nationals feeling better about themselves and and uh, feeling like they had teammates that supported them and teammates that uh, you know they wanted to, to fight alongside. So right personalities Um, are huge
2: it's very huge and i think it's a little overlooked and actually i think uh i heard some rumblings through the grapevine one time when i split up my a team and um because the thing is is if you have four strong balanced players they cancel each other out and then they don't win individual medals (laughs) as much as they want to so and as a pretty new coach i'm like well okay so uh yoga i'm gonna you're going to head up B team and I'll put you on B team and I'll keep Asher over here on a team. And we'll just see how you guys play out. And I did hear some rumblings of that's not sportsmanlike. And I, that certainly was not my intention. Like my intention was not to like, Oh yeah, we're going to, cause it actually mm. weakens my team, but it right. keeps my players motivated, right? It keeps them motivated and it allows them to see what they can do with when, when the guy right next to them isn't always trying to, beat them to the buzzer so i don't know is that unsportsmanlike i mean what, no what I, I, say?
0: Well, okay oh. so obviously people people will say one one thing or another um uh I, I remember the the year the year we won um my a team was just unstoppable in our region um they didn't play a, a close match um and so i decided at one of the tournaments that okay we're gonna split them up and on three teams and, and take our B team and kind of split them up and kind of divvy them up or whatever. And yeah, we, you know, we walked away with, with first, second and third in that tournament. And the only teams that they lost to were each other and and all that stuff. But, you know, it was, I agree. It was important for those players to kind of get their chance to shine when, you know, when John Phipps is sitting next to you and he, he scores 120 points a game. And, you know, you're also capable of getting, you know, 80 or 90 points, so you know you can finally feel good about themselves. It's it's a carrot that you're giving to your kids, and I don't see I don't see anything wrong with that. Like at, at the at the end of the day, to to steal a a, a line from my my uh, friend Tim Sorensen, at the end of the day, um, you know you are there for your players, and um, and I feel like if this is something that you think will benefit them in the long run, or you know will will make them better players your first obligation is to them and your program and not to, you know, your, your other schools in your region, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, that you know, you know what you should tell them, you should tell them to, you know, be faster and no more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's an all-purpose motto. It's a I,
0: I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm stealing it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's totally fine. I, I feel the same way. It, it did let those kids kind of break out. Actually, on, on your very first podcast, when you did mention our team, uh, Yogev was our top scorer. He's an A team. I mean, he was on our A team when we got 13th, and uh, and I broke him off and put him at, in charge of B team, and, and you saw what happened. I mean, he he was the top scorer of the day. He won the medal and he was very happy about that. And I just looked at it like these kids are, they are working hard. I mean, and they're working hard on their own. I'm not forcing them to do any of this stuff. They just want to excel. And so they're reading at home, they're, they're memorizing things at home and why not? I mean, if they want the medal, Give it to them. And again, yeah, that's just like you said, kid, if you want the pedal, be faster no more. I mean, that's all there is to it. So, but I did take those comments very seriously. I don't want to, I think that when you're the coach of a really good team and so people start to know you, they watch for anything that might make your team Look kind of bad. I know that sounds like sour grapes, maybe. I've heard it. I've walked into a room as a moderator and I've heard people kind of trash talking our team. I'm like, what? We don't do that. And then I sit down and moderate. (laughs) I
0: I will always remember um, the the last experience I had. I don't know if you've ever done um, the Chip Bowl, uh, the the, uh, Questions Unlimited. Uh, It's another. Yeah, I've heard it.
2: Done
0: it though. So the last time we went um in nationals, we we finished first and second in our in our leg of of nationals, and um there was a, a match in the, in the semifinals where my B team was playing a team from Nebraska, mm-hmm. and uh there was a question where the answer was the White Cliffs of Dover, or they were t- talking about the White Cliffs of of Dover, and they asked what country it was in, and we said the UK. And they said it was wrong and we challenged it. And I, I I might have I don't remember. I might have been a little too like like Tell enthusiastic, me. you know. <laughs> um, um if if I remember correctly, this was like 2010 or 2011, so I was definitely younger. <laughs> um and uh and we won we won the, the challenge and the other coach just thought it was like bad sportsmanship that I would um I would like challenge a question like that. And like, what are you teaching your kids? Like, well, I'm teaching them that if you get the question, right, you should get the credit for it. And you know, they said that was bad sportsmanship. And I took it to heart. Like it took, it it took me a while to just eventually realize, no, it wasn't. That's you. You're just, you're, you feel that way and you're allowed to feel that way, but I don't, I don't think it was, and I'm not going to change anything about that. So uh, no, I don't think splitting your team up for a regional tournament to give your, your kids that work hard, a chance to shine and, um, you know, be the best versions of themselves, uh, individually. I don't think that's, that's poor sportsmanship at all. Um, if, if, st- if that matters in, any, in anything.
2: It's also strategic too, because if you have uh, enough kids with enough depth on your teams, you got to see who works well together and who really complements each other versus who is constantly competing against each other. Um, and, you know, it came down to those two players, particularly <laughs> Yoga and Asher. And they're probably listening when they're going to, when you post this, they will listen. And uh, they know what I'm saying. Like, they're always beating each other to the buzzer. It, it's fun for them to see who did better leading their team, right? And um, it's it's good for me to see, well, does Yoga compliment someone else or does Neha compliment this person? So, yeah. I, I have
1: it, a... I have, a, I have a running, uh, thing about, about unusual practices or, or like anything you can do to mix up practice, because I think kids can fall into a rut of being like, okay, these are the, the team lineup and I can rely on this person to get all these questions for me. Uh, so, so my question is, and this might, this might be, you know, might not go anywhere, but do you have anything you feel like is a unique thing about your practices? Something unique that you do? Uh, some, some type of practicing, some, something you do in your practices that, uh, is a little bit of a mix-up from just reading the same questions all in order?
2: I, I wrote down what I do at practices. And honestly, what we do at practices is a lot of reading the questions. So if, if we have an hour and a half practice, uh, which is typical for us, so we start at 3.30 go to 5.00, um, we would try and get through two packets, right? Two 24 question packets. Um, because it's really important for me to be able to keep track of the stats too. So I can compare what my teams are doing to what your teams are doing, right? And so like, oh man, Middlesex had a power percentage of blah, blah, blah. And we are only here, right? So we need to bump it you should,
1: up. Don't, don't look at the neg percentage, please.
2: <laughs> well, that's, see, and that's why I think that our team doesn't show up in the NAQT stats is because our middle school tournaments just do not do negs. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why we don't show up. And uh, so that's why we might have been a little bit of a surprise to some people in 2019, right? Um, so one of the things that I've done, and I don't, this is not unique, but memorization contests are kind of fun. So I've had memorization contests where, uh, for example, world capitals. So I said the first person to learn all nearly 200 world capitals and to be able to rattle off a hundred of them at random. Like I give the country, you give me the capital a hundred times over 100% gets like 20 bucks in a pizza. And so I just take that out of my teaching funds that are my coaching funds that I get. I pay for that myself. And then, and, but it motivates them. And one kid who is an eighth grader now, so great. He learned them in five days, five days later, he came back. I generated a list of countries a hundred questions later, there were teachers, other kids like packed into my room watching this happen. And when he got that one hundredth question, everyone just went nuts. I mean, they practically carried him out of the room on their shoulders. So it was a really great moment for him. And uh, and then we
0: yeah, wrap definitely up with- pre-COVID. Let's let's. Uh- <laughs>
2: <laughs> <I'm looking forward laughs> times. Uh, this is what happened. Uh, so I have and I make up little practice packets too, of like all the presidents. So you write down all the presidents, the years they serve, any weird things like the XYZ affair or anything that normally comes up. But if you can rattle off all 45 in order, you get a prize. Um, I bought PEZ dispensers, (laughs) like a lot of them, Um, enough so that every kid on the team could have one and they earned them by coming to practices, by getting a certain number of powers, by writing paragraphs on things that they missed. So if you miss three questions, Pick three of them or three things that you missed and write a paragraph about them and bring them to the next practice. That is really, something that works right it's something that works i've heard kids say time and time again oh my god i got that question in a tournament because i had to write it for practice that sort of thing and then so you give them the pez dispenser and then you just throw out PEZ. like so when they get certain things like a, if a team racks up all 45 points on a toss-up and bonus you know then everyone gets their pezes and then they you know then all the other kids in the school are like where'd you get that pez right it's like i got it at academic ball practice and that generates that excitement um that's so It is. It's a lot of fun. And then I, go
1: ahead. I was going to say, we have to figure out the digital version. Uh, Check your, uh, check your discord. I've given you a new, uh, new emote, a new emoji or something like uh.
2: (laughs) that. Okay. So Andrew, this summer I was so bored. So normally in the summer I go and teach at this summer camp in Switzerland. And I've been doing that for several years and it's so much fun, right? But it's completely denied this year. So we played online Uh, we played on discord and if kids, you know, broke those little thresholds, I actually made up gift bags for them and took them to their houses. Like I would just drive them and deliver them around town, anything to kind of keep up that motivation and to make it fun. And so as far as structure goes, playing me is kind of, well, they probably hate it, honestly, but I sort of like it and it is motivating for some kids, especially when they beat me. Right. Um, a really easy way to get kids to trust themselves and start getting those powers is to just hold up your hand while you're reading the question at the end of the power line, you put your hand down and then you get a lot more kids buzzing in right. And trusting themselves to buzz in early. Um, so, and we also, I do cahoots. Uh, we take the NAQT, you got a nose and I have every single one of those in my classroom in a huge big old binder. And, so Dr. Yanda is extremely good at this at taking the you gotta nose and creating uh, Google slideshows that we post on our PowerSchool server for academic bowl. And then um, I was much better at this last year before in the before times, um, of saying, okay, this this week is astronauts and uh, you know romantic literature or whatever. If you read over those, then we're gonna play a cahoots during practice. If you win the cahoots, you get this many points, you get this prize, whatever it is. So that's how we kind of keep the, the the kids love games and quizzes and things like that. So give them a reward for it. And then I keep all, and this, this is for newer coaches and it seems so obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me at the beginning. Uh, when you do go to a tournament and you get that pack of the questions, take them back to your classroom and put them in a three ring binder and label that binder. So I have, mini binders like a whole shelf full of binders of questions and then when I read like a middle school 35 or whatever packet from NAQT I put the score sheets with that packet of questions and then I always uh figure out the points per bonus uh that the team's got in their power percentage because without that power percentage that's how you win at nationals right I mean you right. just got powers,
0: right so you've mentioned Dr. Yanda uh, a few times already. Um, how long has she been working with you? Uh,
2: she's been our assistant coach for two years now, so this is the second year. Uh,
0: I, so. I certainly know uh, the benefit of having um, wonderful assistants. We've we've had Andrew working with us for uh, for a number of years now, and you know our our program didn't really take off until uh, Mrs. Barbara Ivy joined, and uh, now she basically runs the thing with me. Um, and, uh, we have a few other coaches and like, we, we just wouldn't, it wouldn't work without the help of assistance. So how, how helpful is Dr. Yanda been?
2: She's, uh, first of all, she's amazing. Uh, she's brilliant and she's basically a classics professor, uh, who works with our middle schoolers and she does a lot of the middle school practices. So she'll run sections during lunch and things like that. So now that we have these cohorts, right. With up to 15 kids in a cohort, it's, I can't have 50 kids at a practice. So she'll take a group of kids to her room, a cohort. Right. And then I keep a group of kids. And then um, what I've done with my, I have two really outstanding eighth graders who kind of get a lot of those questions. So instead of them constantly beating up on their seventh grade peers, Uh, I make them practice with the high schoolers and then they moderate uh, for their, for their seventh grade peers. So I, you know, they take a seventh grade cohort and off they go and they moderate for them. So they're still hearing the questions um, but they're also getting experience moderating. So, and then I can split up the practice a little bit, but yeah, Dr. Rihanna puts together these bonkers uh, practice practice, packets with the you got in those uh, her Google slides are a thing of beauty. And then she started using quizzes, like Q-U-I-Z-Z-I-Z-Z to put online quizzes out there. And the sixth graders especially are taking advantage of it. So she'll post a topic and she'll tell the kids, hey, we're studying you know, um, mythology, Greek mythology this week. And then she'll put a quiz up there and then kids can take it and they can take it over and over. And then the highest quiz people get stuff. And you get stuff for participating too. You don't always have to be a superstar. But um, so there's a lot of participation points too. But I've put together... um, and so is she, uh, a slideshow on the paintings that come up all the time in Quiz Bowl, right? So um, you, like the Arnold Feeney wedding. So they got to see that stuff. So, I mean, so if they can yeah. see it, you can talk about it, and you can talk about the symbolism. Then when they hear, you know, there's an orange on the window, you know, in this painting, then they boom and they get it. So that stuff helps a lot.
1: Absolutely, it reminds me a lot of uh, what what Ken and I did when we we did a summer camp together. I know Ken has kept that up since then. Mm-hmm. As we would make these fun slideshows and just you yes. know walk through and talk about them. And uh, I think there there's so many digital resources out there. I can tell you like two off the top of my head that people keep recommending to me, and I haven't I haven't had the chance to use them yet. I know quizzes is one of them. Uh, there's another one that I've been told is basically better than Kahoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Let me see if I can find it. I
2: Literally, think I know what you're talking about. Where they can
1: earn points or dollars or something like that as a team. Yeah, it's like uh, Gimkit. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've heard Gimkit is also another one that is like these. There's so many untapped digital resources just out there these days.
2: Right.
1: Uh, that if you're if you're not using those, you're you're falling behind.
2: Uh, Agreed. Yeah. I, are- I feel like j-
1: just talking to you, Lisa. I I feel like uh, obviously talking to a kindred spirit and that you you also love Quiz Bowl, but I can tell that you are uh, part of of my group of people that I I feel really feel strongly ab- about when it comes to Quiz Bowl, which is people who just this is fun for them and yes. like Quiz Bowl is about fun at the end of the day uh, and winning is fun absolutely there, there's you know uh, but the whole process is fun and I think that's one of the things that that keeps this such a uh, an engaging uh, thing to to do is that I you know I, I made that whole podcast. With Ken about how to make sure that things are staying fun, and uh, it, it it sounds like your your school is a really joyful place to be, uh, and so that's that's thanks to your hard work. That's thanks to you know uh, your administrators and your parents that are that are supporting you. So they should really feel proud about
2: that. I, th- I think we all do. I, CIS, we really do consider it just a really wonderful community to be a part of. And I'm so glad I'm part of it. My student, my, my students, my kids, my actual children started going to CIS before I started teaching there. And it, I often talk about this. My husband and I say that that's the best parenting decision that we ever made. So if you start off in a school like that, where you have these, this wonderful, supportive community, really kind kids, uh, no real discipline problems, um, yeah, you can do a lot. Right, you can do a lot. And when I first started teaching there, and I taught all the sixth and seventh graders, um, it became very evident very quickly what a smart group of kids I was working with. And why is there no middle school quiz bowl team? So that I just went straight to my head of school and said, "Look, I don't have a lot of experience with this, but I know I really like it, and we could have a very successful and fun team." And um, yeah, I mean. Not to brag, but it is the most successful <laughs> thing at CIS as far as you know outside competitions go.
1: So, how had you known? How had you known about Quiz Bowl w- without having had any experience or anything like that? So what was my- your...
2: So I have two sons, Stephen is 20, and Mark is 15. And Stephen was going to the Boonville Middle School, the public school right down the street. And he was recruited for his quiz bowl team. So a coach actually, you know, got a whole emailed me and said, Hey, I'd really like your son to come out for this. And, um, and he did. And he was really, really good. So he ended up playing quiz bowl from seventh grade. And then he started at CIS in eighth grade and uh, didn't have a quiz bowl team in eighth grade. But from ninth until 12th grade, I mean, it's one of the things that he did all four years, and he's still a model. So he comes and moderates with me quite a bit. And um, he's actually a really popular moderator. Like we've had contests like, oh, how, how many people said that you were their favorite moderator today? And yes, he always beats me at that. In fact, he has fan art. So, there was a girl at an upper school tournament who actually drew a picture of Mr. Moderator Dude. Uh, it's like a Japanese anime style picture of my kid and presented it to him. So, it's cool. a lot of fun. That's and then another one, <laughs> one, he doesn't play now that he's in high school, but he played all through um, junior high or, well, middle school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how I know about it through my son, Steven. Awesome. And then, honestly, it was once I got serious and like what tournaments, what? Because at Boonville we just played duels, head to heads with other local schools. Um, I think it was Jason Loy, who is a pretty legendary coach here in Missouri. He coached at a very, at a very small rural school called Tuscumpia, which I've also heard come up in your podcast. Mm-hmm. And now he's the coach at Sullivan High School. And without Jason Loy and David Dennis and a couple other coaches like Tara Wynn and Pilot Grove and Scott Allen at Hallsville, I wouldn't know anything. Like I would still be struggling. So getting in with a network of coaches who know a lot about quiz bowl and who will share their information was, it was so beneficial. <laughs> like I can't thank them enough, um, for what they do for, for well, the whole time. They're just trying to up the comp, up the competition in the state of Missouri. Right. So, well, that. Lisa,
0: we, we, we can't thank you enough for, uh, coming on and spending some time with us and, uh, and teaching us about, uh, all the wonderful things your program does, and and the wonderful culture that you built. Um, sorry that you know last year ended the way it did, and your your <laughs> players really didn't get a chance uh, to to shine. Hopefully, they get a chance uh, this uh, this spring. So, b- best of luck to you, coach.
2: <clears throat> well, and thank you too, too, for doing this podcast. This has been a lot of fun to listen to, and it's really fun to be part of. And I really appreciate you inviting me on.
0: Again, we want to thank uh, Coach Lisa McClary from the Columbia. Independent school from Columbia, Missouri. Um, Andrew, I, I mean, I know people look at Middlesex as a um, as a standard that they want to, you know, live up to, and and it's it's flattering. But when I hear about the culture from that school, and uh, honestly, I, I mean, that's a standard I want to live up to as well. I I, I strive to have our players treat each other the way she described them, treating each other and, you know, and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. Stuff that any team could watch and take away great lessons from,
0: you know, be faster, no more. I I mean, what are, what are great, the simple, like the best models are always the simplest, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brevity is the soul of wit and quiz bowl. <laughs>
0: well, uh, if you want to be faster and no more, it might be a good idea to uh, s- stay tuned and listen to this episode's buzzphrase.
2: The guys at for 10 points want to help you answer for 15 points. Power a question with this episode's buzzphrase.
0: This episode's buzzphrase comes from the 2017 Northmont MS question set, Round 9 toss 8. A Mormon text about one of these of great price it takes its name from a parable about a merchant who sold everything to purchase one of them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs listeners not to cast these objects before swine. The question finishes by noting that this word is often used to describe the gates of heaven guarded by St. Peter, so of course we're looking for pearls. The question opens asking about one of the standard works of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the Mormon Church. When it comes to Mormonism, most quiz bowlers may only know Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Utah, and the Book of Mormon. But there are four books that currently constitute its open scriptural canon. The Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, Documents and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. The Pearl of Great Price is made up of five works. The Book of Moses, the Book of Abraham, Joseph Smith, Matthew, which is Smith's retranslation of the Book of Matthew, Joseph Smith History, kind of like an autobiography of Joseph Smith, and Articles of Faith. The title of the book comes from the parable referenced later in the question. In Matthew chapter 13, verses forty five and forty-six, Jesus tells the parable of the pearl. In it, a merchant finds a pearl, a symbol for the kingdom of heaven of great price and he sells everything he had in order to purchase it. In biblical times, the Roman Empire likely valued pearls more than any other precious gems. In fact, some historians believe that Emperor Claudius invaded Britain in order to secure another source of pearls. So Jesus using pearls as a comparison to the majesty of heaven was no coincidence. The last clue in power references where Jesus is instructing his disciples to preach only to audiences that are receptive. He says, "Give not that which is holy unto the dogs; neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you." In the Bible, pigs are often associated with demons. For instance, in Mark chapter five, verse eleven through thirteen, demons possessed a herd of pigs and rushed them off a cliff. And while we look at dogs, as man's best friend. The Bible often refers to dogs as worthless animals at best and scavenging beasts at worst. So Jesus is saying that you're better served not presenting your pearls before demons and scavengers who wouldn't appreciate it and would turn on you. So the next time you hear a question about a book of great price or casting before swine, don't clam up. Consider this pearl of wisdom. Buzz in and say, Pearl.
1: Very nicely done, Ken. Uh, I'll say also that one thing that uh, our, our listeners should remember is, uh, you know, don't forget about uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees when they're thinking about Mormons. Those, those latter day saints.
0: You should see the, the grin on Andrew's face right
1: now. <laughs> I'm so clever. I know I am. It's fine. Uh So uh, this has been 410 Points, the best podcast on the web for everything Quizzable related, whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve. Hopefully we have helped you get better. I'm your host, Angel Triago signing off for my co-coach, Ken Romeo. Uh, and I hope that all of you have a great holiday and we will see you in the new year.